Hey everybody, this is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. One of the privileges of hosting this podcast is that I get to interview some of my favorite heterodox thinkers and fangirl over them while trying my best to be professional. My next guest is one of these favorite thinkers. Virgil Walker is the Executive Director of Operations for G3 Ministries, co-host of the Just Thinking Podcast, which is where I heard of him, and is a Standing for Freedom Fellow. The Just Thinking Podcast he co-hosts with Daryl Harrison exploded in popularity three years ago with their episode, George Floyd and the Gospel, that went viral. I have personally listened to that episode in full twice, even though it's over an hour long, so I highly recommend it. Now the Just Thinking Podcast is one of the most popular Christian podcasts in America, certainly amongst evangelicals. This podcast impacts Virgil's theological journey, what's up with the black church, and one of the most hotly debated topics in classical Christian circles, Christian nationalism. It's such a good episode, so let me not delay it any further with my babbling. So pleased to introduce Virgil Walker on the Free Black Thought Podcast. And remember, there is no such thing as the black perspective, just black people with perspectives. Mr. Virgil Walker, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm so excited to talk to you. As I've told you, I've been a long-term fan of yours, discovered you through the Just Thinking podcast years ago. I wouldn't say that I'm an OG listener, but longtime listener, and I've just seen your sphere of influence just grow and grow, which is a wonderful thing. And even in prepping for this show, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so many things I could pick this man's brain on. There's so many hot topics in the Christian, like in the pure Christian world and outside of it and the influences that Christianity is having on politics and the way things are being shaped in the country and world right now. But first, let's just start off. I'm a big fan, but everybody listening to this might not know who you are. So let's just start off with you giving a little bit of your background and how you kind of came to be where you're at today. Yeah, well, Connie, thanks for having me and thanks for the kind introduction. I am the Virgil Walker. I serve currently as the Executive Director of Operations for G3 Ministries. Uh, G and three, the three Gs stand for Gospel, Grace, and Glory. G3 is a conference-based ministry. Uh, It initially began as such. And so I, uh, as Executive Director of Operations, I provide oversight for all of those conferences. Uh, We have a biennial conference. So every other year we have a national conference. Uh, the National Conference has anywhere between oh, 6,000 to 8,000 people uh, that attend that every other year. And in the off years, we have regional conferences, which can run anywhere between 800 to 3,000 people. And we have those around the country. So I provide oversight for those. In addition to that, we do um, biblical worship workshops. Uh, we do uh, uh, expository preaching workshops. We do biblical teaching or uh, uh, expository teaching workshops. Those are, are kind of popcorned throughout the country uh, at different churches. And so I provide oversight for those. And I think the final thing that I do is uh, we do, uh, we have a, a, a tours that we do, uh, overseas tours that we do, uh, Reformation tours and the like. And so uh, I do that. So that's, that's my area of oversight. But G3 is not only a conference-based ministry, uh, but it also is a content-producing ministry. So the executive vice president, editor-in-chief, his name is Scott Annual. Uh, and Scott does all the everything related to our, our G3 Press, our publishing house, uh, all the content that we provide for free online, uh, on YouTube, on our, on our social media platforms and the like. He provides oversight for that. We collaborate where it makes sense. Uh, we've got some some upcoming exciting things that we're going to be announcing at our at our at our conference uh, here soon in September, September 21st to the 23rd. Um, and so we collaborate on those things. But that's kind of kind of who I am. That's my everyday work life um, outside right. of that. 
Uh, I do uh, I do a lot of a lot of like you mentioned political commentary, uh, a lot of podcast commentary. Uh, most know me from the Just Thinking podcast uh, with my co-host Daryl Harrison. Daryl, actually, I call him lead hosts. Uh, <laughs> he he calls me. He 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 says we're co-hosts. So it depends on who you ask. But uh, but uh, yeah, I, I partnered with him. Gosh, over six years ago. Uh, with Just Thinking, the Just Thinking podcast, 120 some odd episodes later, uh, it's one of the top podcasts, a Christian podcast uh, in the country. And, and I think probably our most popular episode was the episode that we did, a freestyle episode we did on George Floyd, mm-hmm. uh, which outside of reformed circles and by reformed, it's just a conservative uh, branch of, of, a, of a Baptist kind of a d- denomination of a Baptist denomination. Uh, that kind of crossed the boundaries. I think a lot right. of folks that were outside of, of 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 our circles, of our evangelical circles, in our in our uh, particular denominational niche, uh, kind of heard about us and then began listening to us and then began following us. And uh, now, five years later, and more than five five million plus downloads later, uh, a lot of folks know us, and and it's provided opportunities to be on on other platforms. I do a G3 podcast here here uh, weekly, uh, as well. I work with uh, Jason Whitlock. Uh, on mm-hmm. uh, of the blaze uh, as well, and so uh, Jason uh, Whitlock has a has a show called called Fearless with Jason Whitlock, and I'm a weekly commentator on his show as well. And so, uh, do writing on on the G3 uh, yep. G3 pod on the, on the G3 blog, uh, as well as have some books and things like that. So that's a that's that's my long rendition of all the things that I'm yeah, involved. Yeah, it's a lot. And and how long has was doing the Just Thinking podcast? starting that about six years ago, was that when everything started? Like how long has this been your, your area of work? Yeah. It, uh, I would say, I would say in a, in a, in a compressed way, absolutely. You know, I think the just thinking podcast, uh, was something I did with Daryl. Uh, you know, we, we had started that, I want to say 2018, somewhere in there. Um, if I remember if, if, if my numbers are, are correct somewhere in that, that time frame, we kind of began the process. I was serving as an, as an associate pastor at a, at a church and, I loved what Daryl was writing. He had a blog called Just Thinking for Myself. Loved what he was writing. A mutual friend of ours did an interview with him uh, and then called me and said, hey, I, there's a guy that's out here, man. He thinks like you. Uh, he kind of kind of operates like you do. He, he knows that that those of us who think in the way that, that we do, uh, uh, you know, kind of we were talking about it earlier. We're kind of we're kind of oddballs, right? Uh, mm-hmm. be, being being black and having free thought, not a monolith, willing to, willing to be very clear and articulate about that. And so right. uh, when he when he saw that, heard that, he connected Daryl and me. And uh, I told Daryl, I've got a full time job, not looking to do anything big in the way of po- the podcast world, but I'm but I'm happy to help. Uh, and then that help turned into something that that exploded in ways that neither he nor I uh, ever intended for them to. So, and has this always been your theological background? Like, how were you raised? How did you grow up? Great, great question. Um, I grew up, interestingly enough, I have a pretty eclectic mix of of experiences, more kind of black church Pentecostal uh, mm-hmm. in my upbringing with my parents, uh, kind of rooted in, in that in that kind of framework. Uh, to eventually a, a much more conservative uh, kind of denominational expression, uh, even even some even some Church of Christ. Uh, so so uh, you know Baptist circles, Church of Christ circles. And you uh, did that on your own. You just well, kind yeah, of stumbled yeah. into okay. Yeah, more yeah, more more than not just kind of my own my own research, my own my own you know forming my own views, my own identity, uh not wanting to have my own, you know, having having mom and dad's faith but developing my own faith and and as a result of my own personal study would eventually find myself landing in southern baptist circles, 
uh, and then uh, and then and then eventually resting in uh, more uh, even more conservative reform Baptist circles. What did your family think about that? Um, they think I'm crazy, but uh, no. <laughs> still to this day. No, I'm only joking about that. I think my parents are incredibly proud of of, of kind of the trajectory direction I've gone and uh, what God has done and how He's He's used the gifts and talents in, in my life to glorify Himself. And so, um, you know, I, th- I think they're they're proud. They're proud of, of of the work that that I've done. They they don't agree with me completely theologically because they're right. still in some of those more non denominational yet charismatic leaning, you know, areas. Um, not really reformed tradition by any stretch of the imagination, but um, we 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 have the conversations. We kind of land where we where we have more agreement uh, than disagreement, and and we try to kind of identify those spaces and places where we both honor Christ. You know, Christ is holy, and 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 uh, understand that uh, that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ, according to Scripture, to God's glory. And so we kind of leave it there. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad. It's always sad when families are torn apart by political or religious or theological differences, and that's not the case. So that's always very comforting to hear. But, you know, I want to dig into that a little bit, your ability as a, as a young Black man, because around how old were you when you landed in the Reformed circles? Gosh, now, now I have to tell my age, Connie. Is that how this <laughs> is going to go? Um, probably, it's probably, oh gosh, probably more than, a probably about a dozen years ago. So probably... 40, about 40 years old, about 38 to 40 years old, somewhere in that time frame. Okay. So you weren't actually, this wasn't you in college making no. this leap. So it's actually, you're still fairly fresh in this world, which makes it all the more amazing of how articulate you are and expressing um, the views of this, of this theological corner. But so was the journey, did the journey start when you were a younger man or did you not until closer to 40 where you're like, you know what, I haven't, I haven't fully formed my own theology and I need to do that. No, I think th- those are fantastic questions. They are fantastic questions. And, and the reason why, kind of the point that, 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 that you're, you're alluding to, all of this is a journey, right? The, the mm-hmm. Christian faith, the Christian walk is a journey. And so I think that at the point at which we, we stop growing, uh, we, actually, we actually are dying. I'm always trying to kind of, kind of out of, out of the Reformation was sem, uh, Semper Reformanda, right? Semper Reformanda, which which is always reforming. Always, we should always be in the process of of examining our lives, our journeys, our walks according to Scripture. Uh, if if Scripture is indeed the, the 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 template by which we we look through all things, right, and and examine our own lives, we should also examine our views. So so to directly answer your question, for me initially. Uh, coming to faith in Christ, I did that in high school, um, uh, and I did so as a as a, a guy who um, was was kind of coming out of the Baptist kind of tradition. Not yet saved, buddy of mine in high school encouraged me to come to a Bible mm-hmm. study. This was my first time seeing young people serious about faith, honest about faith. I didn't know anything at the time about Church of Christ or Church of Christ doctrine, or uh, there was never any indication of any kind of baptismal regeneration. Uh, that mm-hmm. was never a part of, of my discipleship in that process. Um, coming out of a Baptist tradition, I think I had those lenses even walking into those circles. Um, and so I never thought that baptism saved me. I just simply understood that the message of the gospel was salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Uh, and as a result, decided at, at that time, at, I was a junior in high school, to to uh, to submit my life to Christ and uh, and, and listen to the to the call to, to you know the call of faith as, as proclaimed by the message of the gospel. So that was high school. Um, I had again grown up in those Pentecostal circles, right, and, and primarily black Pentecostal, black yes. church Pentecostal mm-hmm. circles. 
So here I am in this predominantly white setting, feeling like, man, what am I doing here? And <laughs> you know, is is there is there some cultural aspect to this faith thing that I should be aware of or understand? About that time, uh, there was a movie, and you're you're probably way too young to even to know that 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 the, that the movie uh, about Malcolm X came out by Spike Lee. Everybody at that time was wearing these X hats, right? They were wearing these mm-hmm. the big X hats, and so they were trying to be cool, hip. None of them had read the had read the book, had read Malcolm X's <laughs> autobiography, but they were trying to be down for the cause, and that was you know, so we're wearing the X hats based upon this movie. My mom, who was a who was an avid reader and always taught me to be, uh, encouraged me before I went out to buy because I was wanting to buy an X hat. So she was like, "You're not right. buying any X hat until you go read the autobiography of Malcolm mm-hmm. X and understand what that's about." Um, and so as I did, I was just engrossed in black culture and, and black ide- identity and what, how important that was. And again, it wouldn't be till later when, when Malcolm X actually took, took his pilgrimage to Mecca that he would he would have a different view of, mm-hmm. of you know, of, of a black identity. And so uh, during that time, like most young black men, I had you know, I, I needed to I needed to shed this 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 white Protestant expression of faith that I was experiencing. And I had to go find my black roots and, and right, you know, kind right. of do all you know, do, do all of that. And, and so I would eventually find myself back in charismatic circles. I was in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, uh, which is Mecca for uh, word of faith for, you know, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of charismatic chaos. Uh, mm-hmm. I was, I attended a church uh, by a man named Carlton Pearson. If you ever look him up, there's a documentary on Netflix uh, about his life called Come Sunday. Um, and it's about his journey from kind of kind of the darling of the Pentecostal movement where he had, gosh, he had a at a 50 plus thousand uh, a person convention uh, that was that was it was primarily black. A lot of Kojic churches, Church of God in Christ, uh, churches, Pentecostal, black Pentecostal denomination, black churches to where eventually his his. Uh, 5,000 person church would dwindle to nearly nothing as he adopted more of this universal approach to, mm. uh, to faith where he believed that all were saved, whether they, whether they named the name of Christ or not. So he would eventually become a, uh, you know, an apostate. And uh, so I was at that church at that wow. time, experiencing this black expression of faith. Uh, and, and, you know, I, there were aspects of it that I enjoyed. I enjoyed the cultural music. I enjoyed, you know, knowing, knowing the, the kind of shout and call that happens in a, in, a, in, a, in a regular service. So experiencing that, but recognizing even as I, as I kind of go through this college expression that, man, there's something more to my faith journey. I would leave there, stay in those, those uh, charismatic circles. And then eventually moved from, from uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma to Oklahoma City. I would meet my wife, who was a student at Oral Roberts University, uh, another, another charismatic kind of, kind of expression. And then uh, she and I would stay in, in charismatic service for a while. Uh, I would, we would eventually move to Omaha, Nebraska, uh, where I, had, I was involved in, in not ministry at the time, but work, my, my, my uh, personal uh, and private kind of work experience. I was a professional in, in, in pharmaceutical sales pursuing all the things that the prosperity gospel had taught me about mm-hmm. naming and claiming it. And, and I was yep. a very effective salesperson. So making a lot of money, but recognizing for some odd reason, my life does not seem to be fulfilled. Yeah. Uh, and so d- d- diving back more deeply into my faith would, would eventually land in, in Southern Baptist circles uh, where m- my wife and I marriage was, 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 was stretched as I was pursuing wealth rather than what it meant to take care of family uh, yeah. and to take care of and take care of our household. Uh, I would stay in those Southern Baptist circles uh, and eventually learn what I needed to learn about studying the Word of God, the sufficiency of God's Word, uh, and how that played, a, how how that affected. And this kind of goes into what we'll talk about, I'm sure. How that, how how Christian faith doesn't simply affect what we do on Sunday morning, 
but it right. should be a it, sh it should impact every facet and every walk and journey uh, of our lives. It would be at that Southern Baptist Church uh, where I would get introduced to Reformed theology, uh, not mm -hmm. as a result of what they taught, but as a result of my own training and and uh, and, and uh, personal education. Wow, yeah, that's quite the journey, and I think people need to to hear that because, especially as as Black Americans, we you do feel the pressure to not step into a church that's too white or right. it doesn't um, feel like that even like stereotype traditional black church experience. Um, but it is kind of an ongoing journey, right? We're, we're, mm -hmm. Like you say, like you talked about at, at the beginning of your monologue, you're kind of like re reformation is constant, but there's yeah. kind of a danger to that, that. That idea can get twisted too, right? So I want to talk about that a little bit because Last last year, I interviewed the Wallaces. I don't know if you're familiar with them. Eric and Jennifer Wallace, they're the founders of the Black Conservative Summit. If you haven't already been linked up with them at some point, I'm sure you will get invited to, to their conference eventually. Vody Bauckham was, was the keynote speaker at this last conference, I believe. And, you know, I was interviewing them and great people, you know, the work that they're doing is wonderful. And I, I asked them about kind of the way in your in your book, um, just thinking about the state touches on this too, how the black church used to have a more classical conservative view of scripture and Christianity as a whole. It's obviously changed a lot, even though black people still, according to polls, are the most religious or I'll say spiritual group in America. I mean, some polls estimate over 95% of black people in America say that they believe in God. They might not be Christians. They might not be devout. They may have never cracked open a Bible, um, but that's remarkable, especially in the West. It makes Black Americans the most religious, religious block in the West, bar none. It's not even close, uh -huh. even compared to, um, you know, Hispanic and Latino cultures that are also largely religious. Black still bl blow them away in terms of polling, but the lifestyle, the cultural lifestyle in America, doesn't reflect that. And so I asked the Wallaces. I said, you know, why do you? why is this disconnect happening? Because according to coming out of black people's mouths is that they haven't lost their faith. You right. know, it's not like they're abandoning their beliefs, but yet they are abandoning their beliefs in practice. So I would like your thoughts about that. And if maybe the idea that, well, we should be constantly reforming and changing and we used to, you know, be pro-life, but that's, you know, we got to just keep adapting. Maybe that idea of constantly updating the church, reforming the church is being abused. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Why, no. why is that such a obvious hypocrisy in the yeah. black population? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, man, you, you raise an important question. It, that, that really is an important question. It really gets to the, uh, I think to, to, to the root of the issues that plagued the black church, I would argue that Semper Reformanda was, was something that was, that was, a that came out of uh, the Reformation uh, and the idea about ref about reforming was according to Scripture, right? It was the Catholic Church, the Protestant Reformation comes out of, and the idea was we, we want to reform, but we want to reform according to what Scripture says about mm -hmm. the issues of life. So they were always and constantly peering into the pages of Scripture to land on a particular idea or, 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 or direction or a thought, whereas I, I agree with you. I think the idea of reformation now, especially in the black church, is a conforming to culture. It's right. how do how do we how do we change according to what culture says? And, and I, I would argue and have argued uh, in the things that I've written, I've, I've written a uh, an article 
about the black, uh, it, it was a, in fact, it was right after the Dobbs decision came out, uh, called Letters to Black, to black Pastors. And uh, I, I was concerned about the very issue you raised. As the Dobbs, as the Dobbs decision that comes out, uh, it, in fact, this is, this is the one year anniversary. Here we are in June, the month of June. This is the one year anniversary of the Dobbs decision. The Dobbs decision actually overturned Roe v. Wade. And so while, while it didn't eradicate abortion, it's now become a state, a state's rights issue. Each mm-hmm. state will determine in their own jurisdiction what that looks like. Um, it, it overturned a, a massive, a 50 year Supreme Court decision. Right. Uh, as pastors in local churches and congregations began to address the issue, uh, I'm here in the state of Georgia. And in Georgia, you have a, you have a lot of massive mega black churches. And I was witnessing pastor after pastor uh, get on, get you know, leap into the pulpit to say that they stood for uh, abortion, and, and I and, and I my my mind was blown because I'm thinking, how in the world can you claim to have uh, an understanding of, of of the God who gives us life, uh, the God who 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 gives mankind his first breath, the God who creates uh, image bearers of, of himself, uh, those of us who are who are made in the image of God, uh, deserving of distinct value, dignity, and worth, and make the same claim. That, that you're standing for a woman's right to choose. And they always stop at that language because they don't want to finish the sentence. A woman's mm-hmm. right to choose to murder her right. child. Choose what? <laughs> in the womb. Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. Uh, I, I, I want them to answer that. Well, it was here uh, in Georgia, Jamal Bryant, uh, New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, ironically named, right? New Birth Missionary mm-hmm. Baptist Church who steps up on the Sunday after the Dobbs decision and, and, and basically starts kind of preaching a sermon about how, uh, how women are under attack and how we need to stand up for a woman's right to choose. And, you know, he's, he's laying this at the feet of a black congregation. And I'm thinking the, the people who suffer the most, the actual black genocide that is taking place in our culture is through abortion. Right. Uh, 31 to 38%, depending upon the poll numbers that you that you determine, 31 to 38% of all abortions that take place are happening in black communities, while black women only represent seven to eight percent of the total population. Mm-hmm. So, so when you consider those numbers and you consider the the the, the four hundred to five hundred thousand babies that were being aborted on an annual basis, that is black genocide. Show me somewhere where 500,000 lives are taken, right? We, we got upset over George Floyd and one man's life who was taken, and rightfully so. He's an image bearer of God, and we should never celebrate uh, his, his death in any way, shape, or form, regardless of the circumstances surrounding it. How in the world would we allow 500,000 deaths to take place lives that, that never come to fruition, never are available to us. We never get to understand and experience their brilliance, their very image of God's presence on the earth when, when we're telling women that the best thing that could be done for them is for them to murder their children in the womb. And that a pastor on a Sunday morning on the Lord's Day would articulate that was jaw-dropping to me. Does, do these pastors get pushback from their congregation or does everyone just kind of march along? Interestingly enough, I think what happens is is more times than not, because I, I, I really do believe we've embraced a very secular point of view and have adopted that into the church. Um, I, I, most of them, most of them celebrate that. Uh, I, I make the case in, in my article uh, that it was that that it was the civil rights movement that actually opened the door uh, for this secularization that 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 connected us directly to uh, the Democratic Party platform. 
uh, and opened the door to the secularizing of the church as pastors began advocating for things that uh, that were contrary to a biblical worldview. And, and, and we see that kind of play out in, in full fruition nowadays. And you point out in your book that a lot of Christians don't have a biblical worldview. And I think and you talk about this too, how people can't even define really what worldview is <laughs> to start with, Christian yeah. or otherwise, if you just went right. on the street and asked people yeah. what what is a worldview. So how do you define biblical worldview? Yeah. And how, as if, if you're a believing Christian, what is sort of your litmus test to know if you have a biblical worldview or not? Because I got to tell you, before I was saved, I lived in a house where every, a big house with five roommates and there were times when every girl in that house went to church on Sunday, except for me. They would wear cross necklaces. But even as an outsider, I knew that they didn't have a biblical worldview. I probably couldn't give you a definition what a biblical worldview if you came up and asked me. But I knew like they're going to church on Sunday hungover or uh-huh. whatever. You know, I knew that the lifestyle, I'm like, I don't know much about the Bible, but I'm pretty sure the way you're living is not really what Jesus wanted for us. And so... I think it's really important to break that down. Like, what is a biblical worldview and how do you know whether you're actually living one or not? Yeah, no, I think, again, great question. I, I think one of the things I try to do is, is as, I, as I teach worldview in, in a lot of different spaces and places, I try to really simplify it for people so that it's not this highbrow, kind of convoluted, you know, kind of in, in, the, in the halls of, of academia kind of, kind of definition. Um, and so I, I, I tell people, I kind of prep them by saying, this is really, really deep. So prepare, prepare yourself for this definition, right? Prepare yourself uh, as they kind of take their pens and are ready uh, to, to write. I say worldview is how you view the world, right? <laughs> it's, it's that, it's that simple. It, it's, it's the, and everybody has a worldview. Everyone has a view of the world. The question is, what are the lenses? I wear glasses, so I, I use them as an example. What are the glasses, the, the lenses that you use in order to examine that world, in order to determine right from wrong, in order to determine good from evil, uh, in order to determine that which is moral and that which is immoral, right? What are those lenses? And then most importantly, what are you basing your decision on? Is that anchored in the text of scripture or is it anchored in how you feel that day, right? Mm-hmm. And so if it's anchored in the text of scripture, you're going to have a book chapter verse for why you landed where you did on a particular issue. I can I can tell you with all the issues that flood our culture as it pertains to identity, you know, who am I? Am I am, do I feel like a woman today or feel like a man? Do I, you know, am, am I, am I, am I, is, is my gender fluid or wh- what have you? Uh, the idea around sexuality and sex, you know, is, is same sex marriage okay? Is, am, am I able to marry someone of the same gender uh, as it relates to how I treat someone who doesn't look like me, who maybe has a different level of melanin in their skin? Is there, is there sinful partiality that I give to one group because they've been quote unquote, su- uh, you know, su- suppressed or or subjugated uh, or oppressed, uh, and is there is there some is there some form of punishment that I need to provide to those who quote unquote oppressed them on the basis of melanin in the skin? All of those answers can be found in the pages of Scripture. The problem is in our culture we've gotten so far away from from teaching what Scripture has to say about some very basic fundamental things that people are either absolutely confused or in the instance of some of your, the friends that you mentioned in the, in the house that you were in, 
they actually suppress the truth that they know in unrighteousness because biblical worldview is not that difficult. And, and here's why. All of us as image bearers of God have the laws of God written on our heart. Mm -hmm. uh, scripture, scripture is absolutely clear uh, about that in, in Romans 1, 18 and following. And so we know the law of God. The difference is we we, we suppress it in unrighteousness and all, all that's big, fancy scripture talk for. We love sin so much that we prefer to ignore what the Bible has to say about it so that we can indulge our sin. That's what's happening. Um, and so we we ignore scripture where it's inconvenient for us. Uh, we we justify our sinfulness uh, so that we can so that we can engage in that behavior uh, in a way that doesn't that doesn't present guilt to us. Uh, you know, guilt. Our conscience uh, is is an internal barometer of of what uh, of, of what is right and wrong. Uh, we've been given that by God. The, the problem is. Over time, you can you can wear down your conscience to the point where the 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 the, the, the loud yells that it would be screaming from the insides of you that this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, turn into almost almost muted, unhearable, un un, un undeterminable, unsearchable kind of whimpers uh, because you've you've over time have dialed that back. That's how killers can do what they do and have a lack of conscience about it because over the course of their lives. They, they've, they've muted their own their own internal conscience that should be a, a barometer, a, a, a temperature gauge as to what right and wrong uh, actually is. So simply put, worldview is how we view the world. Uh, our, our, it's the lenses by which we examine the world and the culture. Uh, the question is whether or not we're using our own feelings or our own arbitrary ideas or some worldly philosophy, or are we actually using what scripture has to say? And, and if, you're, if you're holding to a biblical worldview, you're aiming for what scripture has to say about the about the subject matter uh, and you're anchoring not not only your life, your feelings, your emotion, but everything you do is is pushed through that lens. So if in order to solve the problems with black Christianity in America or the black church, is it just that there just needs to be more of a scripture focus? Like, are, are these churches not focusing on scripture or are they are and that scripture is being twisted? What how do you. What's your uh, diagnosis there? Yeah, I, well, I, I think uh, whenever, whenever, what what you see now in, in a black church, uh, primarily we've we've gotten past the point of really spending time in the text of scripture. We are we are long on homiletics and and short on hermeneutics. And so let me explain what I mean when I say that long on homiletics. We love the, the, the rhyming pastor who can have three rhyming words to his message and Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro. And here's what they were doing on the day. And we're doing all of that, right? So we've got all that. We've got all that cultural display and, and we got the amens going. Uh, but we haven't really unpacked um, who, is, who is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God? And, and why was their stance important in a culture that desired them to bend the knee to all of their cultural expression, right? Desired for them, to, if, if we wanted to translate that into our day and time, we wouldn't bend the knee to, uh, to, to abortion. We wouldn't bend the knee to same-sex marriage. We wouldn't bend the knee. Why? Because Shadrach, Meshach, and, and Abednego said, we're, we're not going to bow to that God. We serve the living, true God. See, we're not getting messages that are that are strong on on, on hermeneutics, right? Are, are strong on the unpacking, uh, the 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 art and science of, of biblical interpretation. 
What we're doing is we're long on homiletics, rhyming words and the right sound with the organ that hits at the right time. And the pastor that says, you know, that's what we're long on. And so we've gotten away from that. And that's that's not to say that there can't be a cultural expression Mm -hmm. of sound biblical doctrine, but we're we we far far more outweigh uh, on in one direction than we do in the other, and there's an absolute disconnect. So, are, would you advocate that? Um, and this is going to kind of segue into what I think is probably the spiciest conversation happening in Christian circles and outside, which is uh, Christian nationalism. Would you advocate for getting scripture, teaching scripture in schools? That's how children need to be exposed to it. Let's start to unpack that a little bit. Yeah, well, I, I, I would start here, and, and that is, what does Scripture have to say about, about how children should be taught, right? Scripture is absolutely clear that it is not the role and responsibility of the school system, of government, or a government agency to teach their kid. The scripture is clear that we should, we have the responsibility, we who have born them in the world, moms and dads, parents have a responsibility to, to train up their children in the way that they should go. Uh, they have a responsibility that when they lie down and when they rise up and, and as they go about their day to ensure that they understand the beauty of God, the, 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 the goodness of God, the, the, the treasures that are found in the text of scripture, that is our primary responsibility. We've abdicated that responsibility mm-hmm. and given that over to government. And so the, the, the school systems have become indoctrination centers uh, where we drop our kids off uh, for the purpose of, of, of really child care, right? While we go off to work to earn uh, a quote unquote living uh, and, and allow others to indoctrinate our kids with Marxist ideas and ideologies uh, that inform their way. And so we should not be surprised. Bodhi Bakum says this often. We should not be shocked or surprised that if we send our kids to Caesar, that 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 that, we, that they come home uh, as as Romans. We shouldn't be shocked by mm-hmm. that uh, at all. We have a responsibility as parents, and and we'll answer to God uh, for the correct raising and rearing of our children. Now, here's what that doesn't uh, that doesn't guarantee. Uh, ensuring that you're raising your children in those ways, that they understand the nature of God, that they understand right and wrong, uh, good and bad, the the nature of good and evil does not ensure that they will choose the good. Right. Uh, I I tell my kids, I've told them I've got adult children now. I've told them often, uh, I I can't guarantee that a, you're going to live a a life saved uh, and sanctified to God. I can't ensure that that you're going to live a, a right life. But I can ensure that, that I've taught you based upon what how God's instructed me to the best of my ability, flawed as that may be. I, I can ensure that I've, sh- I've shared those right things. You will not go into the world blind to what right and wrong was, unsure or unclear about, about what good and evil are. Uh, and, and you will be informed when you choose the evil that it is indeed evil. Uh, if you've chosen the evil rather than the good, that I can guarantee because that's something I have control over. So what's the, are you, are you just making the case for homeschooling or what should parents be doing to reform public schools or should they just be abandoning them, if, especially if you're a believer, yeah. um, do private school or homeschool? What, what is your ideal education system then? Yeah, well, I think, I think it starts from a standpoint of understanding that, uh, that education is discipleship, Right. So I think if you understand that education is discipleship, uh, you are making a disciple, one who follows a particular pattern or form. The next question that you have to answer is, how is it that you want your children to be formed? 
And if you want them to be formed according to a biblical standard, a framework that, that's built upon the text of scripture, that's built upon a biblical foundation, I, public school is not that is not an option. It really mm-hmm. is not. Even um, for a parent who's like, but hey, when we get home, we read scripture, you would still tell that parent, nah, pull them out of the public school. I, I, ab- I absolutely would. And here and here and listen, I'm not saying this is someone who didn't do that. Like we did that. Like, you know, we my wife and I raised three children. You know, we were dependent upon two incomes to make things work. I, you know, I, I don't you know, didn't, didn't make all that much money when we when we got started. And so, um, you know, we had to make some sacrifices. It was a decision that, that I made that it was better for me at the time. It was this was my simple thought thought process about it, Connie. It was simply I don't want someone else raising my child. And this had to do with daycare initially, right? Mm-hmm. We send them off to daycare. Mom works a full-time job in an effort to really pay for the daycare. Right. Uh, and that's how that's how expensive it was. And so the thought process was we, we'd rather not have that. And then when it came to the education, our thought was, oh, great. We can send them off to school for the daycare piece. They can go and we could go back to earning our, our two income kind of kind of uh, lifestyle. Well, so when your of, kids of were that, little, your wife stayed home with them? They, okay. She absolutely did. Yeah, she absolutely did. So my thought was bring them home. And here and here was the case that, that we finally landed on. After understanding biblical worldview, after getting educated about biblical worldview, the thought process was this. It was, it would be better for me and my wife to do a poor job of educating them at home than it would be for them to go to public schools and for the public school system to do a, to do a fantastic job. Because mm-hmm. if the public schools did a fantastic job at educating them, they would come out hating God, hating their parents, believing us to be some kind of bigoted form of racists, right? Uh, and, and they would adopt some Marxian ideology that would have them on a path for destruction. That's the school system doing things well. Us doing things poorly may mean we need to get additional help in education in areas where we were deficient, which we were willing to do, or leaning on to other Christian godly parents who had expertise in other areas, which we were willing to do. But we were willing to do that poorly as, as best that we could, rather than having the, having the public school system do a fantastic job of educating our children. And you felt you, your children are grown. So you, you felt this way even back even back then you saw the the Marxism and that kind of thing, like creeping into the public school. But I know what you said is going to, it's going to hurt some feelings. Some people are going to get offended who are public school teachers and are going to be like, that's not how my school is. You know, we don't do that. You know, we teach math and we teach science. So what's your response to that kind of pushback? Do you think there's like exceptions? There are some nice public schools out there. Keep your kids in them. How do you make that distinction? Yeah, I, I think that, I think there are well-intentioned educators out there who are believers who, and I, and I thank God for them. But the reality is, and they, if they were honest, they would tell you that in every way, shape, and form, they are forced to adopt this ideological principle uh, of, of 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 Marxism, uh, of of not only just the socialist from an economic standpoint, uh, but 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 a socio-economic expression. Of, of a Marxist idea uh, that that paints people in categories of oppressed and oppressors uh, that that identifies that, that that spends the bulk of their time identifying victim classes uh, so that so that we can so that we can benefit the oppressed uh, while subjugating the quote unquote oppressor. Um, there's no way around it. Not to mention all of the LGBTQIA two S plus kinds <laughs> of issues that are happening uh, outside of that one teacher who may be a good godly Christian in her, in her classroom. 
but has no ability to ensure that that all of the additional educational hours of that day, my child is not subjugated to all of those different ideas and ideologies. And so that 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 would be that would be my, my response. My my response would be for that that Christian educator to come out of that school system and to identify parents like myself who want to educate our who want to educate our kids in a, in a more private setting that's more uh, that, that's more closely aligned with our belief system and look for ways to tutor in that system rather than what they've done which is they've subjugated themselves to to what Caesar has to say uh, and and how Caesar wants you to say it uh, and then finds themselves more times than not in compromising positions as a result and so what's wrong about the I have friends that are public school teachers and they're believers and they're they're like, well, I'm there to be a light. Like these Mm -hmm. kids aren't going to, you know, many of them don't come from, you know, believing homes. um, And I'm one of their only interactions that they have. And I'm hoping to make an impression that way. What would your response be? I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. I I cheer for you. Um, But at the end of the day, you're, you're not in control of the darkness uh, that that surrounds you, and 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 the, and the reality is, I, I think it would be very clear and evident uh, where all of these people who who claim to be lights in their in their small spaces and places, w- willing to stand and, and and push back to the degree that it may cost them their job, uh, that that it, that that it may cost them their you know their their employment uh, to say no, we're not going to promote LGBTQIA two plus um, th- that that agenda. Uh, we say no to that. We don't celebrate. Pride. We don't celebrate uh, the, the the issues of transgender. We don't celebrate those things. Um, I, I don't. I don't. What I don't do, Connie, is is I don't question uh, the their their intention. I don't even question the motivation of these teachers. I think they're well intentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, those godly teachers who are in those environments, I think they're well intentioned. Uh, I think they have th- their motive is absolutely pure. I just don't. If if you understand anything about about human depravity. Uh, you understand that 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 the that the Overton window will shift more toward the left, uh, more toward a direction of darkness than it ever will of light. Uh, and if if they have if they truly have a desire to connect with kids, I would tell them to come out of that dark place uh, and into a space where they could be the brightest light possible, with the hope that they would not would not apply a pragmatic approach. To how they educate, but would truly just just trust God for how they interact with these kids who need God's light, uh, who need God's love, who need God's who need who need who need the gospel of God uh, to connect with them in, in spaces and places that are more that are better suited uh, not to be predatory in nature. Because these are these at, at the end of the, I mean, you, if you if you go on Twitter at all and you watch some of these these teachers, this it's, it's predatory what they're oh, yeah. doing now yeah. in school systems. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is absolutely predatory. And uh, we, we can't, I can't, I, I would not risk my child's well-being uh, at a public school with the hope that they run into one teacher in a corner who claims to be a light. There's no way in the world I'm going to do that. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't advocate, I, I would I would not be wise to advocate any other parent doing something similar. So would it be, would it be good for society or maybe that's just not your that's not ultimately the goal, but if every Christian listened to you and every Christian said, that's it, I'm out of the public school. My kids are out of the public school. So there's literally no Christians involved in the public education system. What would happen? Well, we would, we would go back to where we were before public education took place. And if anybody can just take a minute to go back and study a little bit of of history, 
um, education took place in two places primarily. Uh, one was the home and the other was the church. But that's for those kids what, that don't belong to believing families, they're still going to be in the public public school system, right? They're not getting anything at home or at church. Is that? Well, they, they, they've got a choice to make, right? Mm-hmm. They're, they're, they're choosing to walk their child into that darkness. And, and that's sad. Uh, we have a gospel to proclaim. Uh, and as a result, we have to proclaim that truth very loudly, proudly, and clearly. Um, our thought is that public public education, that, there, that there's something salvific in a teacher maintaining their space in, in, in utter darkness uh, where there's an agenda that's going to that's gonna take them leftward, as opposed to being a light that says, I'm going to be a light. I'm going to stand for truth, which, which may put me at odds with my school system, with my principal, with, with, with the board of educators there at the school. Uh, I have to leave that space and, and eventually uh, help to be a, a light in a different place and then tell others about this light and, and welcome them into that light. Here's the thing that, that often happens, I think, Connie, it is, it is this, it is that we think that we love these kids more than God does. Right. Um, it, it's that we think that we have a better solution. God, God didn't really, you know, as far as public education and it's dark and God didn't, you know, his, his hands are a little too short to reach all the way out here. Mm-hmm. So I'll be the, I'll be the Island under myself over here and try to try to save these kids. Because if I'm not here, God just won't be able yeah. to do it. Mm-hmm. And the reality is that God is well able uh, to reach those uh, that are his, that are called of him uh, in the way that he needs to and and call them out of darkness into the marvelous light. Uh, if you are a teacher and you feel called to the public school space, more power to you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not advocating you do anything. I am advocating for you to do something. I'm, I'm telling you to leave. I'm telling you to get out. Let me, let me, let me be clear about that. Uh, but if, if, if you choose to say of your own free will and volition, you know, that you're a grown adult, you can, you can absolutely do that. But I, as someone who cares about children, I, as someone who cares about parents who are raising children to, to in, in the humble honor and admonition of the Lord would say, get out, get out while you can. All right. So that's, you're, you're crystal clear on, on your beliefs of, of how like Christians should be navigating education and it's all backed by scripture. Let's dive into well, Christian nationalism, how do you define it? And then frequently people just tag that tag white on the front of it, right? Yeah. White Christian yeah. nationalism to where I've even had um, very, very classical conservative Christians who are black be kind of, I think maybe confused or concerned because of whiteness always being associated with Christian nationalism that they don't even know. They're like, well, I kind of like the idea. And then I get confused because there's this racial element. Can you unpack right. some of that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I, as, as we're talking, I'm, I want to pull up an article that I've recently written at g3men.org about my concerns about uh, some of the things that I'm seeing in, in that movement. But let me start by kind of laying out um, a little bit of, of my understanding, my reading, my research of, of these issues. For me, the first time that I heard the term um, Christian nationalism, it was under the label that you mentioned, which was more white, uh, white nationalism, or, or you know, or white Christian nationalism. Uh, and for the most part, uh, you know, I, I probably heard about this term maybe maybe 2019, somewhere in that time frame. Um, and it was really just a, a, a pejorative. I mean, it was really just a, 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 yeah. a label to, to tag every Christian with uh, mm-hmm. who was 
uh, Christ-like, you know, serious about their faith, wanting to hold a biblical worldview and vocal about that in the public square. Mm-hmm. And so you were a white Christian nationalist or a Christian nationalist. Um, and, and the idea, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, white evangelical, you know, what they, what, or, or evangelical anymore. The term evangelical almost innately means white evangelical. Right, right? right. And so it's kind of like that. It's, it's, it's an effort to use language in a way to shut down conversation. Um, and so I, I, I absolutely re- rejected it. I said, you know, whatever you call me, whatever, I don't, I could care less. Yeah. Um, what we began to witness though, in, in late, latter part of 2019 and even early to early 2020, was this terminology began to kind of shift and it began to be something more along the lines of what, what people wanted to say. Some began to embrace that idea. Uh, if you, if that's what you're going to call me, I'll just, I'll just embrace it. I'll yeah. just kind of wear it. I'll just, I'll be, I'm a white, yeah, I'm a, I'm a white nationalist. The problem has been, and this was the case early on with CRT. Uh, the problem has been in, in creating a definition around it. Like, mm-hmm. What does that actually mm-hmm. mean? And how do you actually actually define it. And, and so when you do, I, I kind of, I kind of wrote this in, in my piece. Um, I said, uh, you know, I said, if, um, if, 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 if Christian nationalism is a form of active patriotism in which borders are protected, uh, national sovereignty is enforced and society moves back toward a Judeo Christian ethic, call me a Christian nationalist. Right. Right. Uh, and I think, I think there are a lot of people who probably hold that idea I'm, I'm for, I'm for borders being enforced. Yeah. I'm for, I'm for national sovereignty. I, I, I want to see us move from, uh, from this, this idea around, um, a drag queen story hour, right. uh, to what, what, what's the problem with opening up a Bible, uh, at a, at a school and maybe somebody reading, reading from a verse of scripture. Right. Yeah. And at so, first glance, it doesn't seem controversial at all. Like it shouldn't that be every Christian is a Christian nationalist. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think one of the things that we learned uh, in 2020 after George Floyd and after the embrace of Black Lives Matter, uh, after the, the, the advance of CRT, one of the things I learned is it's important to go back to the source of these ideas to find out where they come from uh, and what they mean by what they say. And so I spent some time doing quite a bit of research on nationalist movements, on nationalism. Uh, to see where does this stuff originate from and how does it form and and and, and I think it forms out of out of the the very the very breeding ground of what we just talked about uh, national sovereignty our our nation first uh, a patriotism about it but what happens again like like with many man made movements is it begins to form itself in ways uh, that 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 lean into the depravity of human of the human condition and and by that I mean with with the nationalist idea and with the nationalist movement, uh, we begin to be very patriotic, good thing. We begin to be very paternalistic, good thing. But we also begin to, to, to connect with people who look like us, who are from our land, from our area, from our... And, and what, what, what begins to happen is kind of what happened uh, in Europe uh, uh, right, after, right after World War I, uh, which is uh, what, what's referred to as the, as, the, uh, as the vulcanizing. And let me, let me make sure I, I spell this correctly. It's the vulcanizing, V-O-L-K, uh, the vulcanizing 
of a, of a country. This happened in Germany uh, right after World War One, and what took place as a result of, of vulcanizing, it was this idea of, of, of German responsibility, of Germans doing for themselves, of Germans, of Germans caring for themselves, of a, of, a, of, a, of a national identity, right? What comes out of that, but the, it lays the groundwork for, for what Adolf Hitler would come and place on top of it, which is now that we have this, this idea about around nationalism and our nationalistic identity, which is very ethnocentric, once we have that in place, we look at others who don't look like us or who aren't connected to us as something different. And so I'm concerned there's a con- there's a natural concern that I have about nationalism. And when you search it out throughout throughout human history, you'll find uh, over and over and over as nations begin to embrace nationalism. Uh, it begins to be very ethnocentric. It begins to begin. It begins to identify not on the basis of us being uh, uh, human beings created in the image of God, but human beings created in the image of God with specific ethnic identities, specific outward identities that connect us as nationalists. And so, I, I didn't. I don't know. I want to pause if you had a, had a question about. So this. even in a country like America, that's not. You know, all the countries in Europe formed because there were ethnic tribes, right, that went off and formed their own countries. Yes. America's obviously not like that, even though we're still a majority white country. That's not it's not like you have to be a certain ethnicity to be welcomed and, you know, entered into the fold here. But even just the nature of of man's fallenness, you're saying, and nationalism will always lead to sort of an ethno focus is that that's your fear essentially it's not it's not it's not a fear of mine it's the fact of what has taken place historically with nationalism and so it, when i know that that's its foundation and even those who are advocating christian nationalism will admit this the same mm. is true so i'm not i'm not i'm not positing a, a, a position that's not known or that's that's opposite or that's contrary to what those who hold to nationalism believe. And so I, I, I see that as, as problematic. They see it as problematic. I think the difference here is their thought process is if we Christianize it, right? If we add, if we add Christian to it and ensure that it's, it's Christ-centered, Christ-focused, then we can avoid some of the trappings that the nationalism aspect actually played at the outset. And so that's, that's kind of their, their position. My argument is, well, that that may be the case. You know, it'd be it'd be great if that was the case. But rather than a, rather than than doing kind of an, and I, I made just of this in my article. And I know that I know that folks who hold to Christian nationalism positions weren't weren't real pleased with with my with my with my analogy. And that was this. It was it was Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez who took a, a very a, a very rundown, messed up uh, uh, economic uh, uh, ideolo- ideology like socialism, uh, her thought process was, well, if we add the word democratic onto it, mm-hmm. you've got democratic socialism. And so now it's even better than it was. It's the new and improved version. Well, right. I, I see I see this Christian nationalism thing as something very, very similar. This idea that we're going to take nationalism, attach the word Christian to it uh, and make it all the better as a result. Now, hear, hear me clearly. I love Christianity. And, and I and I love my nation so much so that I that I've worn the uniform of the country that we live in, right? I've I've, I've served in the military, but I don't have to embrace a term, uh, Christian nationalism, in order to be patriotic. 
Mm. I don't have to embrace the term Christian nationalism in order to vote according to a biblical worldview. Right. I don't have to embrace the term Christian nationalism uh, in order to uh, uh, proclaim uh, God's truth to a culture that is, is ever darkening. I don't have to do any, I don't have to embrace the term and its baggage and its roots in effort to identify with this particular tribe, new tribe of Christian nationalists who are trying to promote their specific ideology. I can simply hold to the biblical framework, the biblical worldview that I've always embraced. I can be as vocal as I've always been. There, there's nothing about my life that has to change as a result of, 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 the, of the view that I hold. So, so much so that I don't, I don't really need the term. I don't need to identify with this tribe. I don't need yeah. to trust where they're going. I, they can go wherever they want to go, do whatever they want to do. And I can, I can be independent and speak clearly about wh- when they get it right and when they get it wrong. And so that's mm-hmm. kind of been my position about the issue. And I'm sure we'll go into deeper aspects of that, but that's kind of been the, the, the view that I've, that I've taken. Yeah. And when I've had conversations with people who embrace this kind of Christian nationalism movement, it's, it actually is tricky for them often to define things in a way that, I, like I said earlier, isn't that just being a Christian? Like, why are you calling it Christian nationalism? Um, that's just me being a Christian and a member of a country and <laughs> like a citizen absolutely, of a particular country. <laughs> I, I, well, here, here's what I, here's, here's a thought I have. And, and I, and I, and I'll, I'll go back to your, your question about, about definition. I, I've, I've said this and I know I've, I've gotten folks who upset at me because of the, the platforms that I'm on, where I'm saying these kinds of things. I, I see this movement as a reactionary movement. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, it's a reaction to, and, and, and rightfully so it's a reaction to, uh, uh, many men, white and otherwise, uh, progressive and otherwise. Oh, no, no, let me say this. Many men who are conservative, who come from evangelical cir- settings and circles, who have been absolutely beat up by a culture that constantly uh, wants to subjugate the, the, the white male. Right. Mm-hmm. Every every time they turn around, there's some reason or uh, you know, that 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 they're the problem or that they're the cause of of some of, of some disparity in culture, and and they're sick and tired of it, and and, and they're they're not they're not going to own that anymore. Uh, so you want to call them a Christian nationalist and that be a pejorative? Call me a Christian nationalist. I, I right. see them I, I see them caping up for that because. They're, they're tired of being called a racist. They're tired of mm-hmm. being, being called all of that. So they're like, if, if, if Christian nationalist is the worst you can call me, then, then yeah, I'll be a Christian nationalist. And, and then, and then they're, they're, they're pressing their, their position forward. Now I realize that, that they don't like it when I say that, but, but I see it in, in that light. Uh, and, and that, I mean, that's, that's my, that's my particular perspective of it. Are they well-intentioned? Absolutely. Are they justified in some of that outrage? Absolutely. But I don't think you fight that by adopting a, a flawed idea of nationalism, throwing the name Christian on top of it, and, and caping up to be part of this new "quote unquote" movement uh, to press forward your ideas into society. I think that's I think that's problematic and it's reactionary, uh, and and it's it's not unlike and I, and I said this in my piece. It's not unlike what the what uh, what the left did with CRT. You know, that the, the left, they were upset because they didn't feel like things were now they, their narrative was false. Right. Mm-hmm. They felt like blacks weren't weren't advancing. The, the cause wasn't advancing. And so what did they do? They caped up with, as social justice warriors in an effort to right the wrongs that they saw in, in culture. They, they didn't have a biblical worldview. 
their ideology was absolutely flawed, uh, and the whole framework was was a was a mess. Which is why I don't say that Christian nationalism is white wokeism. I don't I don't equate the two. I do think that that those who are advocating for Christian nationalism are trying their best to put on a Christian lens and simply walk out a biblical worldview, but they've adopted a flawed idea of nationalism and the baggage that comes with it uh, as a part of their ideas, and, and they're trying to advance it. Simply put, with regard to the de- definition of Christian nationalism, there are hundreds of, of definitions out mm-hmm. there. That's a, that's a part of what's problematic with their cause. Yes. One of the reasons why they're not getting traction is because they, they can't land on a definition. However, there have been there uh, there is a writer by the name of Stephen Wolf who has a book called A Case for Christian Nationalism, mm-hmm. and in his book he defines his terms. And so, because of the fact that a he has printed a, a printed book, uh, I found it a, a easily accessible. Uh, we walked through it here at, at the ministry that I'm a part of at G3, and particularly I did. I, I've read the book twice, all the way through. I've, I've, I've read aspects of the book multiple times in an effort to ensure that, that I'm getting definitions correctly, mm-hmm. uh, that I'm identifying what the man is saying in his own words and vernacular, not adding to it. But I'm also providing a critical analysis of what I see as problematic with some of what he shares. He says this by way of definition. He says, my definition of Christian nationalism is, quote, a Christianized form of nationalism, or put differently, a species of nationalism. I want to stop there because that's problematic for me. All, all Because of what I know about nationalism, right. I automatically have a problem with his definition because I know the, the segregation that takes place, the ethnocentrism that takes place. Mm-hmm. I know what comes after that, that foundation is laid. I'm not calling this man a racist. I'm not even calling him ethnocentric per se. I'm simply saying that I know where nationalism leads uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as an ideology. It's been tested in the same way that people could say, well, I know where socialism needs leads. I don't need the, you don't need to, before we add the term democratic to it, I know where, where socialism leads. I know the deaths that it caused. I, I know the I know the problems that it caused economically. I know I know that uh, that the, the government uh, problem you know problems that it created. I know that before we even move forward. So I'm saying the same things with regard to nationalism. I'm continuing to quote from Stephen Wolf. He says this quote: "Thus I treat nationalism as a genus. So I treat nationalism as the beginning, right? Meaning that all that is essential to generic nationalism." is true of Christian nationalism, end quote. Now, if a person does not have any framework for understanding a historical uh, idea of nationalism, you would read this. My definition is a Christianized form of nationalism. Uh, it's a species of nationalism. It's well-meaning. It's essentially nationalism, but it's a form of Christian nationalism. You're like, well, I, I like my nation. I like <laughs> <Yeah>. Christianity. <laughs> this, sounds, this sounds wonderful. But you, you have to have a bit more of a critical eye before you embrace someone's definition. And you've got to look at it very clearly. He, he goes on to state this. He says this in his book. Uh, it, it's a case for Christian nationalism. On page 135, he says this, quote, when he talks about who's going to be a part of this Christian nation, he says this, quote, he says, I use the terms ethnicity and nation almost synonymously. So let me stop. Mm. Christian, or, or rather ethnicity and nation, he uses in interchangeably. There's no distinction. So he then says this, 
Though I use the former to emphasize the particular features that distinguish one people group from another, nation is used to emphasize the unity of a whole. Here's continuing to quote from him. And he says this, though no nation, properly speaking, is composed of two or more ethnicities, end quote. So if you're in a, if you're in a multi-ethnic culture where you're being told that the person who is advancing the cause of quote-unquote Christian nationalism has determined that his Christian nation is composed of only one, not two or more ethnicities, mm-hmm. and you understand the backdrop of nationalism, you've got to pump the brakes before you cape up for this thing called Christian nationalism and ask some very important questions. And the question you just ask is, where is this going? Right. Because even at the outset, it sounds very ethnocentric. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's a ton of quotes in the book that create pause. Uh, the, the idea that he's writing for, for a white audience, he says that in his book, um, that there are a lot of white Christian nationalists or white nationalists that he cites in the book I have problems with. Does he uh, bring if, up, does he bring up, I've heard him, I've actually heard him do an interview where he didn't, maybe cleverly, didn't bring up any of the ethnic, he never said in the interview, like I'm writing this for a mainly white audience or anything like that. He didn't bring up any racial ethnic stuff, but it's like in his definition, which is kind of surprising to me. Um, and his book is on my list. I am going to read it, but just to understand where this movement's, you know, drawing some of its inspiration, does he address it in the book at all? Like, hey, I'm not saying that we're going to kick out all the blacks or all the Hispanics. How does he even broach that if he's saying yeah. he's writing for a white audience? Yeah. Well, he he says he says this, and and so let me let me let me quote him specifically from his book on page 118 and page 119 of the Case for Christian Nationalism. He says this quote: "One might accuse me of assuming and norming the Western European male." Let me stop there. Western European male, in my mind, white European man, right? Right. Okay. So he says this, quote, one might accuse me of assuming and norming the, quote, Western European male experience in this chapter. He says, I'm not worried about this since I am male and am rooted ancestrally in Western Europe. And I'm speaking largely to a Western European male audience. He said, I fully acknowledge that my goal is to reinvigorate Christendom in the West. That is my chief aim. The question for most of my audience is, quote, which way, Western man, uh, the suicide of the of the West or its revitalization, end quote. So I paused on the quote, which way, Western man. If your listeners will Google, quote, which way, Western man, nationalism or Christian nationalism or white Christian nationalism, what they're going to find is that that is a quote from a book titled Which Way Western Man, written by a man by the name of William Gailey Simpson. William Gailey Simpson is an openly uh, uh, admitted white nationalist. Mm-hmm. So without the Christian in my heart, mind, he doesn't even in- reading that. He doesn't even involve religion. He's just he's just a white nationalist. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So he, here you have a here you have an author who's told you that he's writing for a white Europe or Western European male, that he is that his background is rooted ancestrally in Western Europe, 
He's told you that he wants to reinvigorate Christendom. And he cites a man who's written as a white nationalist. For me, I'm looking at that and thinking, is that a dog whistle? Right. So now, again, in fairness to him, he also in his book, he'll cite the opposite. So on page 119, you may get this idea that um, that that, you know, uh, he's talking about one ethnic group. On another page, you'll get the idea that, oh, well, by ethnic, he doesn't mean my skin color. He means so long as I hold to these ideas and these things. The problem is the fringes of this movement are all leaning into this very kinist, this very ethnocentric, um, and, and, at, and at some points openly racist ideological framework. And so all on the fringes are, are these are these folks who who cause me pause, yeah, and uh, who have who who I question. And then when you tell me in your book that your nation is only going to be made up of one ethnic group, and you further go on to to mention bloodlines, you say this on page uh, one thirty nine of your book: "quote Blood relations matter for your ethnicity, because your kin have belonged to this people on this land, to this nation, in this place." And so they bind you to that people and place, creating a common Volkgeist. And you remember me earlier saying Volkgeist was from where we, what we get from Germany. It was the German framework for what would eventually bring in Hitler. The idea that we are part of a particular blood and soil. We, we are part of this land and we are part of this bloodline. And as a result, we, 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 you know, we are a people. Um, so you have that kind of idea on one end. And then on the other end, you'll turn to another page in the book and you'll hear him say things that sound very Christian and very, uh, you know, open to different ethnic groups. The problem is the book is 490 pages. And in, and in a book that large, it, it's difficult to follow the train of thought from one point to the next. And on the one end, you're thinking, man, that sounds very kind of white nationalist. And on the other end, you're thinking, oh, that sounds very Christian. My concern is we got a pro- I, I'm like pumping the brakes, Houston. We've got a problem here. Um, if I had to read the book twice and then underline and unpack certain points, highlight, underline, you know, uh, research, find out who these people are. If I've got to do all of that, and then I land on what I do with with regard to you, you've told me at the outset this this has its genus in nationalism, which I know is ethnocentric. I've got to, I've got to, I can't cape up for Christian nationalism. Yeah. Yeah. So is there, in your opinion, is there a better way in terms of not just terminology and semantics, um, but people who, there are people out there who think or will define Christian nationalism as, hey, I just want Christianity infused into the public life more. I want it infused into the schools more. I want it infused into our government more. I want us to, as a nation, to adopt an official religion. That doesn't mean that you have to practice that religion, you know, but I think that's important. Where are you in those kinds of arguments? And is, is it just as Christians, we, we vote according to a biblical worldview and that's how we affect change. But if we could, de- if we could democratically make it a law that every kindergartner learns the 10 commandments or, you know, any you know any biblical theme you want as truth they're not reading it as literature right they're reading it reading it as history absolute truth do you like that idea or where do you draw the line i guess 
No, I, I think I think all of those are are great questions, and I think those are the issues that we need to discuss and and have conversations about. What I'm pumping the brakes on is this caping up for another tribe, right? That seems to be taking place under the umbrella of Christian nationalism. Now, let me be clear, because those who hear this, who who oppose my particular position, may hear me say that every Christian nationalist is a racist. That is not what I'm saying. So mm-hmm. let me be plain. No, not all Christian nationalists are racist, right? Uh, uh, I don't believe that the vast majority of Christian nationalists are racist. I don't even believe that Stephen Wolf is a racist. I, I reserve that term for something I can put, point my finger on as behavior that I say that is a racist behavior. And I don't find that uh, in the pages of the book uh, or, uh, or in commentary that I've heard from Stephen Wolf. Uh, or any of the or any of the people that are currently promoting Christian nationalism, I think they I think they have very real concerns. Uh, I think some of them are, are are founded in in the kinds of issues that we talked about. Um, I think that we can disagree and still maintain fellowship with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there needs to be this seg- segregation or separation. But I will be I, I will be as as loudly and as boldly as I stood uh, in the public square to decry issues of social justice and ethnic hatred on the left as it pertains to George Floyd, I will do the exact same thing I've always done when I see it on the right, regardless of what 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 kind of role it takes, what kind of terminology it uses, I will I will I will I will be consistent in that regard, regardless of, of the case. Now to, to the point that you raised what what do we do then? So we, I, you know, what I'm against. Well, what am I for? Right? What what do, <laughs> yeah. what, 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 do, what do I want to see happen? Well, we we witnessed, uh, biblically speaking, um, in the first century, Christianity turned cultures upside down, right? We 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 witnessed we witnessed the the church at Ephesus, right? The 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 uh, they didn't ha- they didn't have to cape up for something called quote unquote Christian nationalism. Right. They, they they were folks ready to riot in the streets uh, because Paul was preaching this gospel thing that had people people's lives transformed to people walking away from businesses that had them involved in immorality and the and, and, the, and the worship of a multi breasted God. Right. So so th- th- there was a there was a way that that took place and it was through the transforming of the human heart based upon gospel proclamation. What we want, uh, Connie, is we want a quick fix. What we would love to have is to be able to wave this magic wand called Christian nationalism or whatever you want to call it, mere Christendom or what have you, and and fix everything that we see in a darkened culture uh, overnight so that we can experience it right away. When When the reality is we've been gospel deficient in our country for decades and, and, a, and a gospel deficient proclamation of truth does not have the the power uh, that it needs uh, to go and and see transformation of culture. Uh, we've got to see human hearts transformed. We got to see lives transformed and changed and declare that gospel and truth. That doesn't mean that all we do is preach the gospel and go away. No, we we prophetically speak uh, in the ways that 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 we should about things that we see. We should speak out against drag queen story hour. We should speak out against homosexuality paraded in the streets. We should speak out. We should vote for things uh, that promote uh, Christian well-being. We should promote, we, we should, we should, we should put in, in place uh, laws that, that provide additional freedoms for us to proclaim the, the message of the gospel and truth. But the idea that we're going to somehow take the halls of government, uh, put into power a quote unquote Christian prince, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. as Stephen Wolf's book advocates for, and that that Christian prince is going to rule in such a way that we all kind of experience uh, heaven on earth. That won't happen until Christ returns. Uh, we we need to we need to think about things in that way, and as a result, we've been we we live in a current world, in a current culture, in a current society where we're told by Christ to be salt and light. Uh, we've not done a good job of that, and we're seeing the be- we're seeing we're seeing that not the benefits of that, but we're seeing the curse of of, right. that, of that reality. Uh, we we need to look inwardly. We need to look at ourselves, not at some solution out there or some. Uh, some some man-made idea that we think is gonna is gonna come and, and cape up and, and save the day. Christ already did that. He, he's in charge, he's ruling, he's reigning, and he's sovereign over all. Uh, we just need to go and proclaim that truth and, and boldly walk that out and declare that in the marketplace. So if you were if you were, you know, the the elected Christian prince of the United States. Uh, what, what's like one, what's one thing, and I know we're not, we're not about quick fixes, but what's one thing that you would, if you had the power to, that you'd snap your fingers and you'd change, whether it be a law or something like culturally that absolutely shifts like um, a certain stat that you would want to flip on its head. What would be, obviously there's many things that need to change about sure. this country and everybody left, right and center argues about what those things are that need to be changed. Yeah. But what's kind of a what's a foundational thing that you would want to see change? I, you know, I, I'd have to think through that more, more, more thoroughly. Um, you know, I, I would love to see and I think we're seeing it with with the uh, subject matter we talked about at the very beginning with with, with Roe v. Wade uh, to see uh, states al- align themselves with equal protection for uh, for all human beings, regardless mm-hmm. of their of their state. Uh, whether they're in the womb, outside the womb, that that they would that those inside the womb would experience the equal protection under the law that you and I receive, and that uh, that that murder is is a crime punishable, uh, you know, in our in our jurisprudence system, in, in such a way that that we state what what Scripture says about the sanctity of human life. Uh, absolutely, I, I, I de- and I, and the thing is, I don't have to be a Christian prince to do that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't have to be uh, a Christian nationalist to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my very own state of Georgia, as things are, stand now, we're advocating for that position. So I don't have to wait for Christian nationalists to show up right, one day right. and save the day, uh, nor a Christian prince, uh, be it uh, Trump or DeSantis, to get elected to public office. Mm-hmm. I don't have to wait for that. I could I could do that right now. Uh, call it Christian faithfulness, uh, if, if I have to call it anything. Uh, and just live out the biblical worldview that that I've been given according to scripture. Yeah, right, right. Wonderful stuff. I think we're at a, there was a couple other topics that I thought maybe we'd get to, but we'll just have to have you back on I'm in the future. Whenever, whenever, yeah, whenever been, you want to have me, I'm ready. This has been a great, great conversation. I think it'll be really helpful for people navigating the Christian nationalism question because the definitions are confusing. Who's actually the leader? Where are we getting inspiration yeah. from? What's the history? Yeah. All that. And thank you so much for unpacking some of that, because I really feel like that is very confusing for a lot of well-intentioned Christians it in is. America today on all it, it, like all ethnicities, all corners. It's just it's it's a lot. It, it, it is confusing. And again, there'll be others who will come out with different definitions. I just think my estimation, if, if I could summarize it, it would be there's too much baggage with the nationalism piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to, to embrace Christian nationalism in any way, shape, or form, and so th- there's there's a better way that doesn't require me to be uh, aligned or or require me to have allegiance to some new quote unquote movement. Uh, I can stick with with what Scripture has had to say about right. these issues 
for, for long ago and, and, and don't need to cape up for something new. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So I think we're going to just transition now into the quick fire questions. We got 10 questions for you. Some of them are silly. Some of them are a little bit more serious. And the goal is just for you to answer them as quickly off the cuff as you can. So are you I'll ready? Do I'll do what I can. Yes, okay. ma'am. You can have dinner with any living person on earth. Who would you pick? My wife. Oh, <laughs> what is your most <laughs> controversial opinion? Uh, probably the stuff we discussed on this show. Yeah, that's, those are probably, at least currently, some of the more controversial opinions. Does pineapple go on pizza? Never. What is the best part of being black? Wow, I have to think about that. I, I don't, I don't think of myself in that category. I, I would say, I probably, I probably say, I, I, I love the, I love culture. I love the culture of, of I love uh, God honoring black culture. Absolutely mm -hmm. love it. Music, that, that would be it. If if I had my if I had my a magic wand, I I love black gospel music. That'd probably mm -hmm. be it. Do you think you could kill a person in self defense? Absolutely, without even thinking about it. Should the United States keep daylight saving time? No. Are the best things in life really free? Never. What is the biggest issue facing Black America today? Fatherlessness. Are dress codes a good thing? Absolutely. Black History Month, yay or nay? Get rid of it. There we go. You got through the 10 quick fire questions. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And so we, there's overlap on every, every, there's a list of about 40 or 50 questions that I pull from. So every episode has some overlap, but I think it'll be fun over time to compare yeah. everybody's different answers, especially when we tend to invite free thinkers to this podcast. But thank you so much for coming on. Would love to have you back. Would love to have you write for the journal, A Free Black Thought, if you ever want to submit something. Do you have any final thoughts, final words for our audience? Anything you want to promote going out the door? No, just thanks. Thanks for having me. I, I'm always uh, encouraging folks to come to the G3 conference. Uh, you can learn more about that at g3min.org, g, g, the number three, min.org. Uh, go there and, uh, and, and, uh, and get registered if you're interested in the conference, September 21st through the 23rd here in Atlanta. In fact, for your listeners only, uh, they'll get they'll get a 30% discount if they use the the code G3JT. G3JT. Oh, wow. So All they right, can folks. get a, they can get a discount to the conference if they if they want to participate uh, in that. You could find me on social media uh, at Virgil Walker O M A for short for Omaha. Virgil Walker V I R G I L Walker at, uh, O M A on Twitter. Uh, and I'm on, I'm on Facebook, uh, IG and all that good stuff as well. Oh, so I, I, and listen, Connie, I so enjoyed getting a chance to meet you, get to, get to know you a little bit, get to hear a little bit of your backstory and, uh, and the like, and I, I would love, I'd be honored uh, to, to, to submit a number of different articles for, uh, for free black thoughts. So absolutely. Thanks for having me. We'll keep in touch and thank you so much. Talk to you soon. You're listening to the free black thought podcast.